This morning we're going to be talking about the subject of time, how to use your time wisely in a way that honors the Lord. Students, there is no better way that you could use your time than to go on a summer project. Give six or seven weeks to, to go overseas this summer to introduce people to Jesus who have never heard of him. There's no better decision that you could make than to go on a project. I, I went on a project 13 years ago with Grace Bible Church to Central Asia. That was one of the best decisions I have ever made. I had an opportunity to affect the eternity of Muslim and Russian students that we spent those weeks with, and it changed me too. It gave me a, a vision of God's church, a vision of God's mission for the world. Students, I encourage you, sign up and go overseas this summer on one of our missions projects. Don't let cost be the thing that keeps you from going. We will help you to raise that money. You can go on our website, go to the college page, and sign up. And later today, I'll, I'll tweet out the link to that page. We'd love to have you guys go with us this summer. Now, before we begin this sermon, if you will pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We do confess that better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better it is to spend time with you, the almighty, loving, merciful, compassionate God. There's nothing better that we could be doing this morning than to be with you. We celebrate this time. We thank you for this time. We pray now as we enter into your word that you would redeem this time, that you would bless it, that your spirit would teach us and convict us. I pray, Father, that you would change us and transform us and help us to grow, that we might use our time as you desire we might honor you with it. We pray all this in the name of your glorious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so this morning we are finishing up our series on investing. We have talked about how to invest your life, how to invest your talents, how to invest your wealth. This morning we're going to talk about how to invest your time. How do you invest your most precious resource, your time, in a way that honors and glorifies God? Now, Ben Franklin was famous for saying time is money. Uh, actually, no, no, it's not. Time is actually much more valuable than money, right? Because you can get more money. If you run out, you can go get a job and you can get more money, but you can't get more time. Once you run out of time, you die. You, you get only so much time and then it's gone. When it's gone, life is over for you. Time is your most precious commodity. You can't live without. You can live without money. You can live without skill. You can live without an education, but you cannot live without time. Ben Franklin is also famous for saying wisely, do not squander time for that is the stuff life is made of. Life is made of time. When it's gone, your life is over. So do not squander it. Unfortunately, the, the vast majority of Americans do not take Ben's advice. We squander a lot of time. Here's a chart of what the average American who has a job and has kids does on just a normal day. How do they spend their time, the employed with kids? Um, some of this won't surprise you. We spend a lot of time at work and a lot of time sleeping. That's good. Um, but there are some surprises here. I was a little surprised to see that we spend a lot more time in leisure and sports, two and a half hours, than we spend caring for our kids. That's part of that 1.2 hours of caring for others. Lots more time with leisure and sports. Um, actually, I was really surprised to see what, what's not on this list. Any kind of religious activity or community service. It, it didn't make the list. It's not big enough for that. The average American spends seven minutes and 48 seconds a day on anything that has anything to do with religion or community service or service of others, less than eight minutes. 
We do spend a whole lot of time, though, with, with TV. If you add it up, the average American on a work day, so a day that they go to work, will spend an hour and a half watching TV. And if you factor in weekends, so all days, seven days a week, we'll spend an average of two hours and 40 minutes watching TV. So if you just do the math and you factor that out over average lifespan, 78 years, that will add up to nine years of your life that you will spend watching TV. Nine years, 24 hours a day that we spend watching TV. Now, let me be clear. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch TV. I will be watching TV with all of you tonight. It's a big night to watch TV. There's nothing wrong with watching TV, but I do think that we should step back and realize it's probably not good that the average American with kids is spending twice as much time with the TV than they are with their kids, and 20 times as much time with the TV than they are with anything to do with religion, God, community service, or anything like that. We waste a ton of time. This precious commodity, most precious thing you have, your time. We waste so much of it, and I think we waste so much time because most of us go through life unaware of where our time is spent. We just go through life bouncing from one thing to the next, not aware of how much time we are wasting, how much time we are using for for frivolous things. I know for myself, often I feel like I'm going through life in a fog, just unaware of, of where my time is going, just bouncing from one need to the next, never stopping and never pausing and asking, am I using my time for that which is best? Am I using my time in a way that honors God, that glorifies him? So this morning we're gonna pause. We're going to take this morning to reflect on our lives and ask, are we using our time well? Are we using it wisely? Are we honoring God with our time? And we're going to go to God's word to answer that question. What I want us to do this morning is spend time in God's words, uh, discovering principles that will guide us to use our time wisely. But to begin, what I want to do first, we've got to start with the basics. We've got to ask, what does the Bible teach us about time? Three truths that the Bible gives us about time. Three things that it teaches us about this most precious commodity, our time. So truth number one, we'll just jump right in. First thing your Bible teaches you about your time is that you don't get much of it. You you don't get much time here on earth. The Bible's very clear about that. Back in 1962, a French explorer named Michel Seffray lived underground in a cave about 375 feet deep for two full months completely cut off from the outside world, from day and night. He had no clock, no watch, no, no artificial way of telling time. So he, he buried himself almost 400 feet underground for two full months. And when they pulled him up, he was convinced that only 25 days had passed. Time had passed much faster than he realized. Much more time had flown by than, than he had a sense of. Now, that happens to all of us. We feel like life is moving so slowly, especially for those of you who are young. You feel like you have so much time left. It's going so slowly until one day you stop and turn around and realize with a shock how much time has passed. I was engaged to my wife uh, almost exactly 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I I popped down on a knee, and I can remember that day vividly. Uh, What I can remember most is actually the pain. I got really bad stomach cramps. I was so freaked out about proposing to Julie. I can remember the taste of Pepto-Bismol on my mouth, because that's that's what I swigged before I left the door to pick her up. I remember that day vividly, and yet it's almost 10 years ago. My time is flying by, and don't even get me started about college. Um, uh, my time at A&M still feels very recent to me until I begin to talk to some of you, especially you freshmen. Class of 2016, are you kidding me? 2016? 
I was class in 98. I'm from a whole other century than you, a whole other millennia than you. I feel so old. My time is flying by. Statistically speaking, I am already halfway towards death. My time is passing incredibly fast. When you're young, you feel like you have so much time left. You feel like you have all of your time in front of you, and yet God wants us to understand we do not. You don't have a lot of time left. This life is short. And so to remind us of that, he gives us passages like this, James 4, 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. God wants us to understand how short our lives are. And so here in, in James 4, 14, he tells us two things, two things James teaches us about the shortness of our lives. First, he teaches us that life for any of us could end at any moment. The blink of an eye, at any moment, you, you could die. Here on staff at Grace Bible Church, one of the things that we will um, continually remind ourselves of, the kind of a, a common catchphrase that we have in our minds, is that we need to lead the church as if we get hit by a bus tomorrow. Now, in, that, in this town, that, that really could happen. There are a lot of buses here. <laughs> they drive pretty fast. They're really big. If they hit my car, I will lose. I will die. So I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So I have to live as if today is my last because it really could be. You could die at any time. Life could be over. And yet, even if God gives you a full life, if you don't die unexpectedly and you get the full allotment of years that the average American gets, that's 78 years, if you live a full average life, still, James wants you to know, second thing he teaches us is even a long life is short. 78 years is nothing compared to eternity. That's why he calls it a vapor. It's so transient. Our lives are over so quickly. Here's how the psalmist puts it. Psalms 39, four through five. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. A handbreadth, that's four fingers. That's how they uh, measured things. That was one of the smallest measures that, that the Hebrew people used. He's saying, your life is really short. A breath, um, that's picturing this morning. You walked outside, it was cold. You exhaled, and maybe you saw your breath just for not even a second, just a moment, and then the wind carried it away. That's you. That's your life. That's how short it is. You feel like you have all the time in the world. You don't. Even if you live a full life, it is incredibly short. When I was growing up, when I was uh, four years old, my parents got us a little puppy. We named him Ziggy, a little black mutt dog, really tiny when we got him. So um, I got to see Ziggy grow up from a little puppy to an adult dog that could run really fast, really vibrant. And then I watched him get older and begin to get diseases and and his body break down. And then one day uh, in high school, I went out to the backyard and I didn't see Ziggy. And so I, you know, I, I walked around, I walked around his doghouse and I saw his tail sticking out from under the doghouse, not moving for the first time in his whole life. He had, late that night, died of old age, crawled under his house to expire. That was the end of his life. It's a really sad day for me, but I'm really grateful that I got to see it. Really grateful that I got to see a whole life lived out from youth through adulthood into old age and death. Because in Ziggy, I see myself. I'm in him. I I get a few more years on earth than he did, but not that much. If Jesus doesn't come back or if I don't get hit by a bus, I'm going to die one day just like he did. Hopefully not under a house, but just like he did, I'm going to pass away because life is short and then we die. 
We get so little time on this planet. That's the first thing the Bible teaches us about our time is we don't get much. And what we do get, second thing the Bible teaches us, whatever you do get, all of it belongs to God. Your time is in his hand. Psalm 31, 15. My times are in your hand. And it's, it's interesting. We need to observe what the author says there. He does not say my Sundays are in your hand. That's often how we think about it. God gets Sunday. He gets today. Maybe, maybe just this morning. He gets Sunday morning. And I get the rest of the time. That's my time. But biblically, that's not how it works. God gets all your time. He gets Sunday. He gets Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He gets every day. He gets 24 hours a day. Right now, this hour and a half you're spending at Southwood is as much God's as the two hours you spend a night watching the Super Bowl. All of it belongs to him equally. It's all his, completely his. He owns all of our days. We are not owners of our time. We are stewards. You've, you've heard that before all through this series. Each thing we've talked about, we don't own it. God owns it. He's just loaned it to us for a short amount of time. So your life, your talents, your wealth, and your time, none of them belong to you. They all belong to God. He has loaned them to you for the short amount of time that you're on this planet. So our time belongs to God. And then third thing that scripture teaches us about our time, our time is a test. How we use our time is a test. This life is a test. If you're a believer, if you follow Jesus Christ, then this life is a test for you. We talked about that last week when we talked about our wealth. Our wealth is a test. God is testing us to see how we use our money. He is also testing us to see how we use our time. Your checkbook, your bank statement, and your calendar are tests. God is watching to see how do you use these things. This life is a test. And so I'd remind you again of a passage you've seen before. I think it's the most significant passage in the New Testament on this subject of stewardship. It's 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if any man builds on the foundation of the church with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so is through fire. What Paul is telling us is, for believers, there will come a day when you stand before Jesus and he will evaluate your life. He will look to see how did you spend your time. Did you spend your time serving him, building his church by raising godly kids, by by serving the church, by serving in the community, by sharing your faith? Did you use your time to build his church? If so, then Jesus will reward you with honor, with glory, and with the opportunity to rule with him for, for all eternity. But if not, if you squander this life, if you waste your time in this life and don't use it to serve God, well, you'll be saved because salvation is based on faith alone. You are saved the moment that you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. That, that gets you in heaven. That's, that's sealed up. But you'll be saved as through fire. You'll get to heaven and have nothing to show for your life. You will not receive honor. You will not receive reward because you squandered what God gave you in this life. You squandered the, the time he gave you now so he will not give you more responsibility or reward in the future. This life is a test. How you use your time is a test. I love how Jeremy Taylor put it hundreds of years ago, God hath given to man a short time here upon earth and yet upon this short time, eternity depends. Eternity depends. There are eternal consequences for how you use the minutes of your day today. Because this life is a test. 
God is evaluating you. How do you use your time? So God has called us to use our time well, to honor him with every minute we have on this planet. We're to use our time well, but how do you actually do that? That's what I want to talk about most of this morning. How do we, practically speaking, glorify God with our time? I want to give you five tips that I have learned through the years about how to manage my time well in a way that glorifies God. For the first tip, turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Very significant passage about how to use our time well. So we're going to look at these five steps. Um, All of them are not unique to me. I did not come up with any of these. I was taught these by men and women older than me, wiser than me, who had discovered from Scripture how to honor God with the short amount of time we have on earth. So I want to share these five tips with you about how to manage your time well. The first is in Ephesians 5, so we'll look at that. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. Ephesians 5.15, Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now just look at that for a moment. Let's observe it. Paul begins with a command. Be careful how you walk. Literally, the idea is look with care at how you are living. Look carefully at how you are using your time. Live intentionally. What Paul is trying to prevent here is he he does not want us to just float through life. That's what so many people do. They just float through this life, bouncing from one event to the next, one responsibility to the next, one fire to the next, one relationship to the next, one pleasure to the next. They just float through life. Paul says that kind of living is the life of a fool. What he says, that's, that's a foolish way to live, to, to walk through a fog, to live unintentionally, to live by accident, drifting through life. That's a foolish way to live. Paul wants the opposite for us, to live with great care. He says, to live with wisdom. Wisdom is, is biblically, it is skill for living well. He wants us to, to live well by, by skillfully looking at how we use our time so that, he says, we make the most of it. Make the most of of the time you have in these evil days, these these few days you have on this fallen world. Make the most of it by living wisely. Now, Now, how do you actually do that? How do you make the most of your time? Paul tells you right at the end of what we read, end of verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You make the most of your time, you live wisely by understanding and aligning your life with the will of the Lord, with with his desires, with his priorities. If you set your weekly schedule, your calendar in accordance with God's priorities, then you will live well. You will live wisely. You will make the most of your time upon earth. And so that gives us step number one to using your time well is to set godly priorities. I'm gonna assume every one of you in this room has more things you would like to do today than you can possibly do. More good things. We're busy people. We cannot get to everything good that we could do. We have lots of options, and so every day you must choose. What are you going to do today? And, And what guides your choice is your priorities. What priorities do you set for your life? That determines what you will do and what you won't. And so if we're wise, we will align our priorities with God's priorities. So what are God's priorities for your life? What are his priorities for your use of time? Uh, there's five of them, at least five as, as I see it. So um, here are the five priorities God sets for us. The first two are found in the great commandment of Matthew 22. Here's the first one, Matthew 22, 36 to 38. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So priority number one, love God. Love God with all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your body. Build a loving relationship with God. Now, to love a person, and and God is a person, you have to spend time with him. You, You cannot love someone that you don't spend time with. And so to love God, you have to spend time with God. In prayer, in his word, in meditation, you have to spend time worshiping him to grow to love him. So, priority number one, love God by spending time with him. Priority number two is the next couple verses. Jesus continues in Matthew 22. He says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love your neighbor. He's telling us priority number two, love people. Love God and love people. Now, love people includes a lot of people. First on the list, of course, your family, your your spouse and your kids. You need to love them. You need to to love your relatives and your parents. You need to love your siblings. You need to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to love other people in the community, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. You need to love people. And as we just said, to love a person takes time. You can't just tell your kids, I love you as you walk out the door. That's not love. Love is a sacrifice. That's the biblical idea of love. You sacrifice your time to give it to them. That's love. You express love through time. And so to love people, we have to give them our time. That's priority number two. Love God, give him your time. Love people, give them your time. Priority number three, we get in the Great Commission. Jesus is marching orders to the church, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God has called our church to make disciples of all nations, to to share the gospel with every man, woman, and child on this planet. And for every one of them who believes, we are to disciple them, train them, equip them. That's the mission of Grace Bible Church, and every one of us is called to participate in that mission in some way, to use our gifts to serve the mission of the church to reach the world. So that may be leading a small group, maybe setting up chairs, it may be serving one of our community partnerships, it may be teaching our kids in Sunday school or working in the sound booth. All of us are called to serve the church to the glory of God. So priority number three, build God's church. Give your time to build God's church. Priority number four, we get in 1 Timothy 5. Paul says, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God expects us to provide for our families. That's why we get a job. He expects us to work to provide for our families. Now, students, you are at school so that you can do this. That's the sanctifying part of your education. You're not at A&M just so you can get smarter. You're there so that you can get a degree, get training that allows you to honor God by providing for your family. So take your studies seriously. School is not second on your list. School is a huge priority to God because it's what enables you to be able to provide for your family. Okay, so in our list of priorities, we've got love God, love people, build God's church, and work. Work, and then priority number five we get in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Paul's telling us something pretty incredible here. He's saying that your body is God's temple. Your, your body is where he dwells on earth. Now, if you pause for just a moment, you'll realize what, God, what Paul is saying about God is that God has willingly exchanged that awesome, gold-plated, wonder-of-the-world temple from the Old Testament for you. 
He gave up one of the most splendid buildings ever built so that he could live in you instead. You are his temple. And so what that means is that God thinks your body is spectacularly important. He takes your body more seriously than probably any of us do. He cares greatly that we take care of ourselves because we are his temple on earth. We are where his spirit resides. And so priority number five, you gotta take care of yourself. You gotta take care of the temple of God. You gotta take care of yourself. Now, what does that mean? Well, none of this should surprise you. You know what that means. It includes four things. We need to sleep, we need to eat well, exercise, and rest. And I put that together and this morning. I realized, hey, that spells sewer. I wasn't even trying but <laughs> there's the acronym right there. So, so Paul's saying, you need to spend time in the sewer. Every one of us on a regular basis, you gotta spend time in the sewer because God calls us to take care of ourselves. We gotta sleep. You gotta get however much sleep your body needs to function well in service to the Lord. You gotta eat well. Don't just run to quick junk food. Take the time to eat healthy. You gotta exercise just, just reflect on this for a moment. Exercise is not a medical imperative. It's a moral imperative. God expects us to exercise. It's a moral issue, not just a health issue. Finally, rest. Rest is this biblical idea of Sabbath. God created for six days and then he took a day off. Not because God gets tired. He doesn't ever get tired. He took a day off to show us rest. To model for us who do get tired what it looks like to rest from our labors. To step back from exertion, from the job, from all the work that we're doing and just be refreshed. You need that rest. Whether it's on a particular day of the week or a couple half days, whatever it is. You need time where you unplug from the exertion of this world and step back and and, and reflect and, and get recharged and filled up. That may mean going for a walk in the woods or sitting on your front porch or reading a book or learning some new skill. Whatever it is, you need to take time and rest. So, Sleep, eat well, exercise, and rest. Five priorities that God lays out for us in his word. We gotta love God, love people, build God's church, work, and take care of ourselves. Those are our basic priorities in life. That's step number one. Set your priorities in alignment with God's priorities for you. Now, step number two. Once you've set your godly priorities, balance them. Live in balance. There's always a danger to listing out our priorities. What is a typical way that a person uses a list of priorities? Do you know? they rank them, right? You, you take that list of five things and you rank them. You assign a number to each one. Number one priority, number two priority, number three priority, number four. You rank them and then you hand that to someone and say, this is how you should live your life. You should live in accordance with this list, this ranking of priorities. Now, if we reflect on that for a moment, we'll recognize, we'll realize uh, that doesn't actually work. You cannot live life by a ranked list. So ranked list, if you were to go to the list and ask, what should I do with, with this hour of my life? The best answer is always priority number one, right? If you're doing priority number two or priority number three, well, that's okay, but not best. And heaven help you if you're doing priority number 10. Now you're really wasting your time. Um, the problem is that that breaks down in, in real life. Let's, let's assume you're here at church. You know that if I had to rank the priorities, I'd put love God first. Okay, so you say, all right. Party number one, love God. So you're living by the ranked list. Okay, love God is always the best thing to do. Okay, so you're gonna take 24-7 all of your time to love God. All of your time in his word, in prayer, worshiping him. What's gonna happen to you? You're gonna lose your job. Then your family is gonna leave you and then you're gonna die because you didn't take care of yourself. That kind of life doesn't work. You can't live by a list. Let me give you one of the best things that was ever taught to me 
a guy named Earl Rodmacher, back in the day, one of the most helpful things he taught was, don't live life by a list, live life by a wheel. Your life is a wheel that you're trying to keep spinning. You're trying to keep balanced. And at the center, at the hub of that wheel is God. Your relationship with God centers your life. It is what everything else revolves around. You keep coming back to God to give meaning to everything else you do. So God is at the center of your life and all the other priorities are around the rim. All of them. So family, church, self, friends and neighbors, work. And and your goal in life is to keep that wheel moving in balance, giving each priority attention. You need to make sure you don't neglect any of you. You keep it moving. You give each priority the attention that it needs, the, the time that it requires. That's how you live a wise life, how you live a, a healthy life as you balance these priorities that God has given you. You don't neglect any of them for long. Now, that's, it's easy to see what happens when you neglect. If you neglect family, well, you're going to lose your family and your life's going to fall apart. You have to give your family time. Again, it's not enough to just tell your kids you love them. You have to sit down and play with them. You have to give them time because they see your love through the time you give them. So you can't cheat your family. You've got to give them good time. But you can't give them all your time, right? Or then you're going to lose your job and you can't provide for them. So you have to give good time to work also. You have to give good time to each of these priorities, including yourself. Now, I'll confess, I'll be honest with you guys. Of these on the list, the one that I fall the shortest on is self. That's the easiest one to neglect. It's really hard to neglect Luke and Gracie or Julie or or you guys, Grace Bible Church. I don't want to neglect those things, but I can cheat myself. That feels the easiest. Um, But if I cheat myself for long, something happens, right? I get sick. That's my thing. My body has a way of getting my attention in a hurry, typically in a painful way. When I have neglected it, I get a cold. I get sick. My body breaks down. You can't neglect your body for long. I had a professor in seminary, brilliant guy, brilliant guy, gifted individual, studied the Greek text of the New Testament. And one day he got a call, an incredible opportunity. He could go to this monastery in the desert um, that no one had been in, no outsiders. They had an ancient Greek text, I think of 1 Thessalonians, that no one had ever seen. So incredible opportunity to study the text of the Greek New Testament in service of the church so we could all understand that book better. What better thing could he do with his time? So he flew out there and he sat down in this little monastery with this text and he began to study it. Hour after hour after hour after hour, never stopping to eat, never stopping to drink, none of those things. Hour after hour turned into day, turned after day after day until he got incredibly ill and ended up in the hospital with a really rare infection. He almost died. He was in the hospital for weeks. If he would have died, then all of that incredible study that he did for our benefit would have been lost. You cannot neglect any of these priorities. You can't neglect taking care of yourself. You have to give attention to each of these. Give attention to each of them. Now, let me just get really practical for some of you for a moment. Students, I really want to encourage you to get sleep. I remember A&M well enough to remember. That was the one I was cheating back then. Didn't sleep a lot. College students, we don't sleep a lot. Problem is God designed your body to need rest. It may be that the most holy thing you can do tonight is go to bed early. Because that's how God designed you. You have to get rest so you can serve him. Maybe more holy to take a nap than to go to another Bible study. Okay, you got to get rest. Now let me talk to parents of young kids like myself. Uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when we're away from our kids, sometimes we feel guilty about that. Our kids are a gift from the Lord. Our highest calling is to raise them to know and love him. And so we feel guilty when we take time away from our kids. And yet what God wants us to understand from this wheel of priorities, the most holy thing you as a young parent could do, maybe the most holy thing is to hire a babysitter and get out of the house. 
And maybe that that's actually what your kids want most is just for you to go away for a little bit, get some rest, <laughs> not be so anxious and freaking out. Just get out for a little while. Be recharged, be rested, connect with your spouse. And when you come back, you're a better parent to your kids. God wants us to live a life of balance. Keep the wheels spinning, keep it in balance. Give time to each of these priorities. So that's step number two. You set your priorities, then you seek to live a balanced life. Keep these priorities in balance. Step number three that God has for us is once you choose what to do, whatever it is, let's say you're gonna give this hour to your family. Once you make a choice about how to spend your time, give that priority your 100% attention. And when you choose to do something, give it your all. Whatever you choose to do, give it everything. Be fully present in it. Don't just be there in body. Be there completely in each thing that you do. Give it your all. So let's, let's talk about family. Let's say that you've decided to give uh, this hour to your kids. Okay, you need to be there for them completely. Not, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually. Now, that's become very difficult in our modern age of smartphones. Smartphones are making it very hard to parent well. I found that in my own life. I was really convicted not long ago. I'm sitting down with Luke. It's time we're playing together. I've told him, I want to play with you, son. My phone is in my pocket, and it vibrates. Got an email. I pull it out. Man, maybe something's going on at the church. Maybe Brian wants to talk to me. Who knows what's going on? So I check it. It was only about two minutes before Luke walked over, put his hand on my phone, and said, please, Daddy, put away your phone. Oh my gosh, my three-year-old telling me to put away my phone. So convicting. (laughs) I sat there just feeling horrible because I realized I was allowing this phone to cheat my son of the time he deserved. That's a a horrible, don't let that happen in your family. Put away the smartphones. Give your full attention to whatever you're doing. That goes for work and school also. When it's time to be at work, when it's time to be at school, give it 100%. Be a model employee. Be a model student. The Bible has a lot to say in condemnation of laziness. God looks really down upon laziness, particularly the book of Proverbs, just one example of what God says about laziness. Proverbs 18, 9, he also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. God is saying laziness is immoral. It is destructive. It harms you and it harms other people. Laziness is never acceptable. Laziness can bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. We must not be lazy when we're at work or when we're at school. That's why Paul will say in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. You're not working for your boss. You're not working for your professor. You're working for God and he expects good work. He expects you to work hard. Now let me be very clear. I am not saying that you should work 70 or 80 hours a week. God doesn't want that. So you gotta keep the wheel in balance. You gotta live a balanced life. God wants you working on average probably 40, 50 hours a week, but he wants those 40 to 50 hours to be your most productive time. He wants those 40 or 50 hours to be time that you just fully give to your employer or to your class. You fully engage in whatever God has called you to do. Make the most of your time. Use it well to serve God. Whatever priority you're doing, give your full to it. Be 100% there. Step number four to using our time well. Be sensitive to opportunities. Be sensitive to opportunities. Interesting uh, story in the life of Jesus occurs in Matthew 14. Now when Jesus heard about John the Baptist, that he had been murdered by Herod, uh, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. 
And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Okay, so picture this. Uh, Jesus has been doing ministry like crazy, been working incredibly hard. And then he hears that his really, really good friend and relative, John the Baptist, was just murdered by the king. And so Jesus wisely recognizes, man, I got to unplug for a minute. I got to have some time to rest and grieve over the death of my friend. So wisely, he schedules to get away. He, he gets away from the crowds. He goes away to a secluded place, but the crowds are not into that. They're, they're not willing to give him rest. They follow him. They show up to his secluded place, and then what does Jesus do? Pull out his schedule. I'm sorry, th- this, is, this is my day off. This is rest time. Go home. No, he drops the schedule, and in compassion, he cares for them. He heals them. He loves them. What he's teaching us is that we need to plan wisely, but we need to hold our plans loosely. Plan wisely, but hold your plans loosely. So when God brings an opportunity to love someone or care for someone, if his spirit directs you, you are willing to drop whatever you are doing and share your faith or meet a need or comfort someone in grief. Be sensitive to the opportunities that God provides. Okay, so again, not an excuse for not planning. You need to plan well, but hold your plans loosely. Fifth step that God gives us in his word to using our time well is to evaluate and adjust regularly. You you cannot keep that wheel in balance if you don't step back from time to time and look at it. Look and see, how am I using my time? Am I using it in alignment with my priorities? Is God at the center? Am I honoring all of these things or am I neglecting something? So uh, from time to time, you just need to take an hour off or, or maybe a half a day off, get away and just think about how you're using your time. You need to do that right now. Why don't you reflect back? How did you use your time this last week? How much time did you use loving God, loving people, working, building the church, taking care of yourself? Now, if you, if you think about that and you realize, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how I use my time. What you may need to do, a really good exercise for folks, is choose to take one week a year where you're going to write down how you use your time. Right, in 30-minute increments, how you use your time during a typical week so you can see, so you can evaluate. Am I honoring God with my time or, or am I neglecting one of these essential priorities? So time, take time to step back and evaluate and then as you see things that are being neglected, make adjustments. Make, make practi- very practically speaking, make appointments in your calendar to take care of what you have neglected. So if you evaluate your life and you realize, I have neglected my spouse, then don't just go to your spouse and say, I'm sorry, I have neglected you. I will give you more time in the future. No, you, you gotta be more practical than that. You gotta be more concrete than that. Take out your schedule and set a date. Maybe set a recurring date. Every other week, we're gonna go to lunch on this day while the kids are at school. Whatever it takes, make a practical plan for how you're gonna fix that thing that you have neglected. If it's your body, if you've not been exercising, set an appointment for exercise. Don't just say, I'm gonna get to that. You won't. Set an appointment to make sure that you get to it. So evaluate your life, make adjustments where needed. And as you evaluate, as you adjust, I encourage you to particularly be looking for time wasters. Time wasters are those things that did not make it on your priority list. Things that are okay, but aren't priorities. So uh, watching TV, playing video games, hanging out on Facebook, all, all fine things in moderation. They're good in moderation, but not in excess. They're bad in excess because they keep you from what is best. They keep you from God's priorities in your life. So look for those time wasters. It'll shock you. It'll surprise you how much time you fritter away on insignificant things. Again, they're not bad, but they need to be bounded. They need to be limited. Draw boundaries around them. 
You, you don't want to stand before Jesus one day and he evaluates your life and asks you about why did you spend nine years watching TV? That, that's not going to be a fun conversation. So look for those time wasters and draw boundaries around them so that you are using your time in a way that glorifies God. I encourage you today, when you go home, to spend some time before the party starts just thinking a little bit about your life. Are you using your time in a way that glorifies God? Have you set godly priorities for yourself? Are you balancing those priorities? Are you limiting and restricting time wasters? Are you glorifying God with however many hours he gives you on this planet? Take some time to evaluate that. And I want to close and and pray for God's help um, to enable us to use our time well. But before I pray, let me just ask you, when I finish praying, if you will stay in your seats for 30 seconds, I would like to tell you about what we're going to do next. We finished our series on investing, so I want to tell you what we're going to start doing next week. So if you'll pray with me, let's pray for God's help to use our time wisely. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for life and breath. We thank you that you have given us these days, these, these hours on this planet. Thank you for your kindness to us and grace. We thank you most of all that you sent your own son to give up his own life, to die as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could spend the next life with you, so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. I pray for any person in this room who has not yet received that gift of eternal life. Please open their eyes to the truth that Jesus died for them and rose from the dead and all they need to do is believe. For those of us who have accepted that gift, Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us, that he would teach us, that he would open our eyes to see where we are wasting time, where we could be using it more valuably. I pray, Father, that we would live by godly priorities, by your priorities. I pray that we would honor you with the time that we have, that we would love you well with our families, with our job, with our neighbors, with how we take care of ourselves, that in every way we would please you. I pray, Father, help us to grow to be good stewards of our time all for the glory and renown of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, so our stewardship series is at an end. Next week, we're gonna start our new series for three weeks. We're gonna talk about prayer. We're talking about how to pray big, how to pray for big things and expect God to do big things. We're gonna be looking at the prayers of Jesus to learn how to pray like he did. So we'll spend three weeks talking about how to pray big, and then at the end of that series, four weeks from now, we're gonna take a special Sunday just for baptisms. Southwood has grown at such an incredible rate, we have not been able to keep up with the baptisms that have been requested. We're trying to fit them in a service, and we just can't get to them all. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take March 3rd, and we're gonna have a whole service dedicated to celebration. So we're gonna worship, I'll speak briefly. We're gonna spend most of the time baptizing our brothers and sisters in faith so that they can demonstrate the the gospel that they have believed. So if you are here and you have not been baptized since believing the gospel, we would love to baptize you on that morning. Love to have you here. You can just email Pam, Pam Coke at grace-bible.org or talk to her in the foyer or to me. We would love to get you in and get you um, all ready for that day. Love to have you join us and be baptized. We want to celebrate what God has done here at Grace. So God bless you guys. Use your time well this week. See you next week.